Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, where Paul was introducing the topic of the power of God, especially in comparison with the power of the demons, the fallen angels, those who rejected their relationship with God that he established when he created them. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now, in the previous message, I emphasized the point that the power of God is displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. But in this program, I'm going to talk about this with a little bit more depth. I'm going to go into this subject a little bit more in order for you to appreciate the idea of the placement of Jesus above all of these principalities and powers and that he is putting all things under his feet, which is found in verse 22. In order to understand this hierarchy that effectively gets established, I need to talk about a lot of the background associated with this conflict, which is, in effect, a power struggle. Now, I personally believe that the power struggle began with the creation of Adam and Eve. That's just my opinion with regards to when this power struggle started. It was because of the creation of Adam and Eve, and again, this is my opinion, but I do have enough conviction concerning this that I'll speak boldly about it. When God created Adam and Eve, he created us to be in his image. And what that word meant, the word that was chosen to describe being created in the image of God, meant that we were going to be a reflection of God. That's what that word means. It means that we are going to be a reflection such as something that you would see in a mirror or in a body of water that we are a reflection of him, but we're certainly not him, and we're not like him, and there's nothing unique about us in comparison with something that would be unique or special about a mirror. That's the word that was chosen to describe us being in the image of God. So what that meant was, was that we required a relationship with our God so that we could be a reflection of him. Otherwise, we could just very well be a mirror that reflects nothing, and that wouldn't be very useful. But for us to have a relationship with our God such that we are reflecting who he is, that's what he created us for. Now, this provided the angelic beings with the temptation 
It provided them with a temptation because through the spiritual relationship that we had with our Creator, we were a reflection of our Creator. But because the angelic beings are also spiritual beings, there was the potential that we could be the reflection of those spiritual beings if this reflection is something that is a spiritual dynamic. It is something that has to do with the connection between a spiritual being and our spirits that we have within us. We are composed of a body, soul, and spirit, and our spirit is that part of us that enables this connection with another spiritual being, in this case, our Creator. However, there could have been the temptation that the angels could experience because we could be a reflection of them. Now, I'm not saying that this is absolutely what happened. I'm just saying that this is my personal opinion. And I can't say absolutely because we don't have enough details in order to say that this is the case for sure or that there is an alternative. But this is where I'm going to start. And so if you don't like this explanation, that's fine. You can pick up on whatever it is you do like shortly. I'll get to other things in just a moment. But I'm going to begin with the idea that we were a temptation of the angelic beings. And then some of them responded to this temptation. They responded to this temptation because we were an opportunity for them to be like God. Because they could establish a relationship with us. And through being a reflection of them, if we are a reflection of them, then they are going to be able to be kind of like God, especially if we trust them, if we rely on them, if we have faith in them, thinking that they are the living God, and yet they are not. This was an opportunity for the angels to decide. It was a decision for them to make if they were going to rebel against their proper place in the kingdom of heaven or not. Some of them decided to rebel, and the approximation that we have that is somewhat described in the scriptures is maybe one-third. Maybe one-third of the angels decided to reject their God in the sense of they are not going to live as God intended them to live. They would respond to the temptation in that sense of the people here on this planet as an opportunity for them to be like God. And that was the claim. The claim of the devil was, was that he was going to be like God. And this was one of the opportunities that he could have taken in order to be like God. Now, when he showed up in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, when he showed up, he showed up and he told Adam and Eve something that was not true. We don't know if he knew that that was a lie. We don't know if he did or if he didn't. But what he did say was definitely not true. What he said was that all you need to know is what is good and evil, and you can be like God. So this is another opportunity for the devil or the other angels to be like God through the knowledge of good and evil. If you know what is good and you know what is evil, well, then just do that which is good and don't do that which is evil and you can be like God. That was a temptation 
I believe for the angels, it certainly was a temptation for Adam and Eve. And of course, they made the decision to reject what God told them. They effectively declared that God was dishonest with them and that they were going to eat from the wrong tree, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were going to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. And again, the temptation was not, oh, look, here's an opportunity to be evil. The temptation was, here is a way that we can be good. We can be like God. We can acknowledge that God is good. So if we just know what to do, we just know what's right and wrong, well, then we can live that way. We can be good and not be evil. And of course, in a sense, because we are doing this on our own and independent of a relationship with our Creator, well, then that makes us even better. That was the temptation that was given to Adam and Eve, and I believe that that was the temptation that the devil and his angels were leveraging or were tempted by, and they decided to live independently of their dependent relationship that God created them to have. So they showed up here on this planet. Of all the places they could have gone as part of their rebellious activity, they showed up over here, and this became the purpose of their activity, and that is to express themselves as being a spiritual being that is like God through humanity. Because we have people in humanity who will effectively believe and trust in whatever these demonic powers will say, and people will have faith in these demonic powers, and people will reflect who these demonic powers are through the way that they believe and the way that they live. So this is what I see happening in the beginning of the power struggle that was taking place between God and the devil. And regardless of whether or not you believe that, you will certainly agree with me, I think, that there is a power struggle. We don't need to know when it really started or how it really started. But what we do know is that because of the decision of Adam and Eve as they were tempted by the devil, because of that, they died spiritually, and this would require God to intervene in some other way so that people could be made alive once again. This is what was accomplished through the Messiah. The Messiah came about 4,000 years after the fall of humanity, and he resolved the sin issue that caused the death of humanity to begin with, and then he presented the Holy Spirit who would then resurrect us from the dead so that we would be made spiritually alive. So the devil and his angels esteemed their power through destruction, through being able to destroy something. They killed Adam and Eve. That's what they did. The devil lied to Adam and Eve. They believed the lie. And so, through their decision that resulted from their belief, they died. And so, the power of the devil, in effect, was through the lie and through destroying what God created. When people think about power, that's usually what people are thinking of. They're thinking about the power to destroy or the power to influence or the power to manipulate. Well, influence and manipulation can also be representations of force. In general, they're just a little bit more subtle, 
but they still are expressions of force. And this is something that people associate with power, that you have the power to control people or manipulate people or get people to do things that they would not do otherwise. Or you have the power to destroy something or someone. This is what people are usually thinking of when it comes to the topic of power. And so when the devil killed Adam and Eve, that was a demonstration of power. And ever since then, humanity has been functioning on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. And there are, of course, two ways to go with that. One way is to live in accordance with what is good. Do what is right. Do not do that which is wrong. And those who follow that path, that way of life of just simply being devoted to that which is good, can also be reflecting the devil because of the desire to live on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. And one way to describe this is to say that this is a life of restraining the flesh. That's one way to describe it. In this program, I'll refer to it in that way, that a person is living by the restraint of the flesh. But then there are others who will decide that they want to live according to that which is evil. Those who are living in that way, we would say, are living for the indulgence of the flesh. And for the most part, this is what people think. It's either one or the other. Or maybe you could kind of do a combination of both. But this is what people usually think of when it comes to the idea of how are we going to live our lives. They're normally thinking you are either going to live for the restraint of the flesh or you are going to live for the indulgence of the flesh. But both of those ways are governed, are decided according to the knowledge of good and evil, which again is not how our God created us to function. He created us to function through a dependent relationship with him within us, which is a completely different way of life. But through the two options of living by either the restraint or the indulgence of the flesh, well, this can be an expression, an opportunity for the demons to express themselves within and through us as we depend on our relationship with them Or we can make these decisions on our own. In doing so on our own, we are still living as a reflection of the demons, though, because we are doing it in the context of still living outside of the boundaries that God created us to live within. Now, something that's important to say, of course, is that God provided his contribution to this great effort through the Mosaic Law. Because the Mosaic Law is the definition, according to God, of what is good and what is evil. And through the definition of the Mosaic Law, we could give a good description of either the restraint of the flesh or the indulgence of the flesh. So God contributed towards this effort by giving the Mosaic Law. And after a couple thousand years of people living by the Mosaic Law, it was acknowledged It was shown by Jesus that no one will ever be able to do that. No one will be able to obey the law perfectly. And so no one will be able to achieve the status of being like God through the knowledge of good and evil, especially through the definition of 
good and evil as God presented it. So the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant, was a very important part of resolving this conflict of how do we really live? Do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? Are we going to be a reflection of the devil or are we going to have an opportunity to be a reflection of God? These things were addressed, these were topics that were dealt with through the presentation of the Old Covenant and through giving the children of Israel plenty of time, many generations, to give it a good try. And this is also why when God showed up as a man and dwelt among us as Jesus, why he spent so much time talking about the Mosaic Law. It was to show the people that they had failed because this was a time in history when the people had the conviction, they had the belief that they had found a way to succeed. So God showed up personally and said, no, I don't think so. You don't impress me. And that, of course, caused them some discomfort as they were having conversations with Jesus and hearing what he had to say, especially about them. People who were trying to live for the restraint of the flesh, and yet they were failing and did not want to admit that they were not successful, and by default, they were not like God. When this was accomplished, when God finally resolved this issue of the knowledge of good and evil, it was then that he died for the sins of the world, and this was to resolve the sin problem in such a way that there would be no sin held against anyone ever again, so that he could offer to people his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, so that they could once again be made spiritually alive. The power of God was initially demonstrated through the resurrection of Jesus, and then it is continually demonstrated through the resurrection of people when they repent and they believe the gospel, repent from their unbelief, and they then believe the truth that God has revealed, They rest in the forgiveness of sins, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they are made into a new creation, a child of God. This is how God's power is demonstrated. So while most people are thinking about power in the context of the power to destroy, or the power to kill, or the power to deceive, or the power to manipulate or influence, the power of God is through the power of the creation of of life. That is the power of God, and the display of his power is in accordance with the creation of life. The power of the devil is through the death, is through killing what God has made alive. But when it comes to the new covenant, when people are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, There is no way to kill anyone anymore. There's no way to kill the people who are born again, who are made into a new creation, because the sin issue has been completely resolved. And so because God is creating life that no one can destroy, the devil cannot kill us, his demons cannot kill us, we can't even kill ourselves when we have been born again by the Spirit of God. This creates a hierarchy of greater power. You see, between the point of creation and the resurrection of Jesus, there was the appearance that the demons and the devil 
had the greater power because, of course, they had a tremendous amount of influence over humanity. And people, for the most part, are a rather good reflection of the devil. And people were living according to what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. They were living by a law, in a sense. If I was to describe it that way, that is another way to describe it, is to just simply say that people are living by the law instead of living by their faith and their trust and their belief and by resting in the living God, the living God who dwells within them personally. Nobody had the presence of God dwelling within them until after the resurrection of Jesus. But it was then that a hierarchy could be created. Now, there does exist a hierarchy in the demonic powers. We do have enough information available in the scriptures to suggest that there does exist a hierarchy. But this hierarchy seems to exist by their elements of power, whatever their power may be, by what they may be able to do in comparison with what other demons cannot do, perhaps what they know. We don't have enough information to know exactly how we would define the power structure within the demonic realm. But here in verse 21, we do have an example of the power structure by the titles that are given. In this translation, it says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. These words are, in effect, words that define a power structure that does exist in the demonic world. But regardless of what this power structure looks like, the living God asserted himself as being the ultimate power, not by the destructive capacity of the demons, but by the creative capacity through the creation of life that God is able to do, especially through the gospel. And so again in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And so not only is he placed above, but everything is recognized as being under his feet because of his power, which is the power to create life. That is the greater power. And so God asserts his power and authority over everyone, over everything, because he can create life and no one can do anything about it. No one can interfere, intervene, or destroy that which God has created. Now, of course, the demonic powers can certainly still have influence in our lives after we have been made spiritually alive. They have influence because we are in a state of growth and maturity And the process of this is to let go of those things that are not true and believe those things that are true. For example, there is another way of life besides just living by the flesh, living by the restraint or the indulgence of the flesh. And I will explain this in the next program. 
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,